You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. USA Today had a little thing on their iPhone application. They have, it's called Snapshots. And in there they had this question about what percent of, or the question was, what are you buying your dad for Father's Day? 68% came back and said they're doing greeting cards. Next to that was dinner or brunch. Below that was clothing. Then came gift certificates and cards, and last was books or CDs. So that's just a little clue. If you haven't bought something yet for your dad, then there you go. It's not too late to run down to London Drugs and get her done. So now the average price uh, was $106. That's just trivia, for whatever it's worth. The other question they asked is this. Is your father a role model you look up to? 67% said yes, 25% no. And then 7% weren't sure. So we understand that for some, Father's Day is not an easy day because maybe their dad passed away in the last while, or maybe their father wasn't a good role model. And for some, Father's Day is actually a pretty challenging day. And if that's the case for us, then we're just praying that today your Heavenly Father would minister love and compassion to you and encouragement. Because aren't you glad we have a Heavenly Father who is always on course, always loving and encouraging and believing in us. And we thank God for that. And as fathers, earthly fathers, He is our example of how we want to be great dads. This morning, our message is called Gear for Champions. We are in the Victory Lane series, and our role is to help everybody get into the Victory Lane. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 4. It's in your notes, and if you you have your notes, grab those, or if you're Bible, we're going to be in also in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, so get your Bible out, your iPhone, your iPad, your Blackberry, your Bluesberry, your Gooseberry, your Raspberry, whatever you got, just bring your Bible to church, and there's no excuse anymore. It's easy to have an application to have the Bible there. Our key verse for the series is 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You are an overcomer. We are overcomers through Christ. Matter of fact, we're more than conquerors through him, and we're going to find out why this morning. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our goal is to live in the victory lane, and we had two great messages already this month on that. You can get back on the website, podcast to pick those up if you missed those, but we'll continue on this morning. And today we're going to be talking about the gear that uh, you need to wear if you want to be a champion. There is different gear for different sports. If you play hockey, you have a big bag that you take with you to the hockey game. And uh, heaven forbid you open that up except if you play on the team. If you're, if you're in a hockey family, you know what that bag smells like when it's unzipped. And so you have gear for hockey, you've got gear for skiing, you've got gear for tennis, you've got gear for all kinds of sports, you put on certain gear, and it's a must really to win, and you fine-tune that gear for the sport that you're in. Today we're going to be talking about the gear that dads need to wear, actually all of us should wear. We're kind of targeting the message to dads, but this is for everybody. You could be a mom, you could be an aunt, you could be an uncle, a grandpa, whatever it is. This is for all of us as we pray, as we look to help the next generation and intercede for them. What armor do we wear? Because there really is a battle going on, and we were designed and destined to win, and God has given us everything we need to win. He's given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, the Bible says, so that we can win in this spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. So in order to just give us a hook 
for the message on and help us to remember it and the importance of wearing gear. I'm going to ask uh, one of the guys in our congregation, Stefano, to come on up. And uh, he's wearing some gear this morning, and he, we're going to ask him about what he's up to. So would you give him a warm welcome as he comes up? And uh, he's got some gear on this morning. And he's, he's about to do something uh, in September pretty crazy. He's going to do something that uh, requires him to wear the gear. So maybe just... Tell everybody what you're up to in September and uh, what kind of event you're going to be competing in. I love this place. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm going to a place called Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah. Anybody here heard of Bonneville? Uh, if you want to familiarize, uh, there's a movie, The World's Fastest Indian. Yeah. It's a great human story. Watch it. But what it is, it's a dry salt lake. And it's uh, like concrete. And as far as you can see, uh, it's actually so... Big, you can see the curve of the earth. Wow. If you get, yeah, and it's so they call it the uh, fastest place on earth. And for since the 1920s or so, people have been going there with different machines to see how fast they can go. There's classes for motorcycles, cars, bar stools, bar stools, bar stools, little hey, engines. I, I could compete in that class. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that alone. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, good job. Yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, so there, um, the, the current land speed record since 1999 for a four-wheeled vehicle is uh, thrust SST out of the U, uh, UK, 763 miles per hour or 12, 1,223 kilometers per hour. 1,200 uh, kilometers an hour. 1,223. Okay. <laughs> it makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, so you get from... <laughs> His sport, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm not quite there, but uh, and for motorcycles, it's 360 or seven miles per hour, and um, held by an American, that's uh, about whatever that is in kilometers. It's a bunch. I never changed in 1975. I, miles still, per hour is yeah. real to me. But let, trust me, it's fast. So uh, I guess there's about 550 clicks. Okay. More. I, I get it. Yeah. 600. <laughs> okay, anyway, so there's different classes. Uh, I ride a Ducati with a name like Stefano Mazzotti. You're pretty much going to be on an Italian motorcycle. We have a picture of it. Let's put yeah, a picture of it up. Yeah. There we go. There. That's last year. I ran into some uh, technical problems. I couldn't run the bike, but there's a team. Myself from Vancouver, another guy from Toronto, uh, another rider from Montreal. Let's put the picture of, yeah, your, of the your team, team yeah. and your bikes when they got the yeah. fairings the trailer, on them. That's Guy Martin from Montreal. He's the tech guy. He's a Ducati race tech. That's what he does. Um, those two bikes were built by him in Montreal. That's mine on the end. Uh, they're, in a, a, they're less powerful than my machine, but they're, they run fast, like 130 to 150 miles per hour. And it might not sound like a lot, but if you're on a motorcycle on salt, uh, it's fast. And to get that fast on salt is tough. Uh, next This year, my bike will have all that covering or fairing on it, and I'm hoping to get 150 to 170 miles an hour. That's my goal. So you want to hit 170 miles an hour that, this That would September. be great. That would be great. But it's a tough bill to fill at Bonneville. And then uh, next year you're saying you want to go a little faster. Yeah, I'm building a, a purpose-built, lay-down, drag bike-type motorcycle, and I'm hoping and praying to, uh, to break the 200-mile-an-hour mark. Right? So, prayers, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, but you, you get whatever you get. You go back next year, you try and do better. But uh, it's been a lifetime goal of mine, and God's uh, kept me here to be able to 
All right. So you, you, what kind of gear do you wear? Obviously, you're not going to go in your, you know, your, your shorts and a T-shirt for this. So okay. no, <laughs> what, what kind of gear do you wear? Uh, and, and what's the process? What do they expect okay. of you at Bonneville? Well, it's very strict process. So as you were speaking about wearing your armor, they're, they're very strict about their armor you're wearing. There's no exceptions. So they, when you bring your machine there, there's a roped-off area. They take you in alone. And experts go over you and the bike. You and the bike. So, yeah, okay. you and the bike. If you don't meet the uh, the specs for your class, or you're not dressed properly, not a chance. Start with uh, boots. Um, these aren't. These are ones I could wear there, but I have a, a, a more up-to-date pair. Uh, leathers. They're padded in all the right places. Hopefully, you fall down. It's on this side, not on the other side. Uh, shoulders, uh, uh, elbows. And it has to be leather. They don't allow you to wear any of the modern uh, uh, composite materials. Yeah. It has to be leather. Uh, it holds up better on the salt if you go for a slide. And um, uh, the, the bike obviously has to meet uh, certain tech. And of course, there's a helmet. So, Darth Vader, yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, so this protects your eyes, your head if you fall off. There's vents here so you can breathe. Um, you also have to wear gloves. And maybe you want to try one of those. They're armored gloves, All right. so the knuckles are armored. Um, that's not for disputes after, but how fast you <laughs> that's, uh, And uh, of course, this is the most important thing for me, right there. None yeah. of this works without this. And I'm, and I'm standing here because of it. Tell us about um, an accident you were involved in where the, the helmet saved you, but more than that, there was something else going on in the background that really yeah. spared your life. It's a hard one for me, to, so you'll have to bear with me. Um, I've been doing this since I was 15, and I was the son, as you said in the last... I was the, my mother used to call me the prodigal son because I was as prodigal as you could get. And uh, when I was 18... I was at the bar drinking on my motorcycle, doing my nightly little stunt show out in front, and uh, I plowed into a car at um, 60 miles an hour, or, or 100, <clears throat> excuse me, 100 clicks. Yeah. Doesn't matter how many times I say this, it doesn't get any easier. Yeah. Um, turned out the guy driving the car was my uncle's brother, hmm. brand new Ford. Uh, it was a write-off, that's how hard I hit him. Wow. And I don't really remember the accident, but there were so many people there, I, they say I stood up on the bike before I hit, and I flew over the bus lines, and I landed 30 meters away. Um, and uh, what saved me was my mom, so I lost my dad when I was four, my mom and my seven aunties who do nothing but pray, and most of their prayers were around me. And uh, something I just want to add, they gave me a little cross that was brought back from Italy and blessed by the Pope, so the story goes. And um, I used to wear it. I never wore it. On the back it said, if you can imagine, God, give me a steady hand and a steady eye so that no one will be hurt when I pass by. <laughs> they were worried not only about me, but what I might do to somebody else. Put it in my pocket that night. Hmm. But my aunties and my mom were constantly praying for me, always, always. And um, without that, I, I wouldn't be here. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I'd be dead. And I broke my hip, my knee, my pelvis. I drove a bone out through my hand. Um, to this day, and, and I get x-rays these days, and they say, how can you walk on that knee? How do you move with that? They don't, um, 
it's, a, it's God. It's nothing yeah. else. Anyway. And that's what we want to talk about yeah. this morning is uh, the power of prayer that was going on behind the scenes Absolutely. and what your mom and what your aunts were doing for you. You also got one other piece of armor. You, got ah. some, you need that on the salt flats. Maybe yeah. you don't forget to mention that one. You got to protect your eyes. Compliments of Coastal Church. Yeah. So... <laughs> There you go. You're, you're in the heat and the sun, and yeah, you've got yeah. to protect your eyes. Degrees. Uh, and something else I want to add, before they start racing down there, after tech's done and everybody's ready to go, our good American brothers and sisters, they pray. Really? Yeah. Much to the chagrin of the few people in the crowd, but they good pray. They pray. That's a, before they start an engine, they pray. Good deal. Yeah. Excellent. Give Stefano a big hand this morning. Thanks for coming up and share about your armor. That's good stuff. Now, the, the point we want to make this morning is that it would be really crazy for Stefano to get on a motorbike and fly down the salt flats at, you know, close to 200 miles an hour without the armor on. And you heard that when he goes there, they, it's not an option. You are inspected. You must wear every piece of armor, have all the gear on before you get into that race. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, he's that emphatic about fathers and men and women today that we wear our spiritual armor and the only that is for a speed record and that comes and goes our armor is a battle that's much more intense much more serious and the consequences have eternal value and so this is no option we must gear up for the battle that we're in and Paul is writing this to the church in Ephesus and the church in Ephesus was an amazing church Paul had planted it Timothy had pastored there uh, John the Beloved, who had written the book of Revelation, he'd written 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of St. John. That was his church after he returned from Patmos. We have Mary, the mother of Jesus. That was her church. And a number of great leaders were in that church. And yet, Paul writes to them and he says, you guys, finally, most importantly, put the gear on. And it's like saying to somebody who's going to go play hockey or somebody's going to go snowboarding or somebody's going to ride their motorbike down the salt flats, put your gear on. And Paul's so emphatic about it here. So we pick this up in Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles turned there, if not, that's in your notes. We want to give you just a couple of points, instructions for fathers. And really, we're talking to all of us, but dads really applies to us today. Number one, know where our power comes from. As we go into the spiritual battle, we first of all have to understand, where does my power come from? Our power comes from the Lord. The Bible says here, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. When the prodigal son left home and he ran away and was living in this faraway country, eating with the pigs, he had disconnected his relationship with the father. And when he disconnected his relationship with the father, he lost his power, his ability. But the minute he said, I'm going to go back, he came to his senses and he went back to his dad. When he went to him, his dad went running to him. That's our heavenly father. He, that's a picture of him. He loves us even when we've messed up. And he ran to this son and he embraced him and he brought him back home. He gave him a ring. He restored his power. He gave him a coat, gave him shoes. It was a picture of restoring power to him. And when that happened, that prodigal son had power again. He always was his son, but he didn't have the power. You can be a child of God, but not being connected daily in fellowship, in life group, in church, and you won't have the power for the battles that we find ourselves in. 
Now let me say it up front. Not every day do we fight a spiritual battle. Our enemy, Satan, is not omnipresent. There are days it's intense and there's seasons it seems like you're not in that battle. But when you're in that fight, you better be ready, Paul's saying, and you better have your gear on. You better put your armor on before you get into that. Secondly, we have to know who our opponent is. Anybody who goes into a battle... If you're playing another hockey team, if you're in the boxing ring or whatever you're doing, you study your opponent and you know who they are. Paul makes it very clear here. This spiritual battle, I want you to know who you're fighting. Look at the verse, Ephesians 6, 11 to 13. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies and tricks of the devil. And when we, when we take a stand there, understand that that stand is not standing like this. It's not standing like this. It's not leaning up against something. It's a military stance. It's, it's like a boxer stance. It's, it's a fighting stance. You're, you're balanced. You're positioned eye to eye, face to face, okay? Uh, this is a fight, and I will not quit. I will, through Christ, win this battle. This is, he's talking about a military stance here, Paul. And the people reading it, they would have got that because he's talking about Roman soldiers. He's using them as a picture. In those days, they didn't have anybody flying down the Salt flats on a motorbike, they had a lot of soldiers around, so he uses that as an example. He says, we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realm. This is who we fight. We're not fighting people. When we're praying for our children or our niece or nephew or grandchildren, we're not, it's not people we're fighting. It's not their parents. If Johnny was picked on by, uh, by another friend at school, it's not that person who picked on them. It's not the bully. It's not the parents. It's the spirit behind it Paul's talking about. That's what we're fighting. We pray. We wrestle in the spiritual realm with that. But when it comes to that individual, we love them. We overcome evil with good. This is how we fight this fight. We don't fight against people, flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. You can't see them, but they're at work. Then he says, use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil so that after the battle you will be standing firm, that you're going to win. In other words, it sounds like if you don't use every piece of armor, you're not going to win the battle. This battle, folks... When we fight this enemy, you have to understand this. Without God's strength, without his armor, we're going to lose. Because Satan and the powers of darkness are greater than we are, but they're not greater than the Christ that lives in us. They're not greater than the greater one that's in us. And unless we suit up, unless we put the armor on and know who we are in Christ, we're going to get beat in that arena. But folks, the minute we put on this armor, the minute we put on God's word, the minute we step into the arena with that suit of armor on, we are more than conquerors. It's a must. We must put the armor on to fight that fight. Then thirdly, when we gear up, make sure we put all of the armor on. Ephesians 6.11, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm. Put it all on. Not just part of it, put all of it on. It would be silly for Stefano to get on his motorbike and he's got everything on, but he doesn't have his boots on. He wears flip-flops. You go, That's crazy. 
Or if you got on the bike and said, you know, I'm not going to wear the helmet, I'm just going to wear the sunglasses. No, put on every piece of armor. Please understand, Paul's speaking really emphatically here. He's saying, guys, put on every piece of armor. Don't miss one single piece. And he was speaking, again, to people that understood the Roman army. He understood They saw these soldiers, and every piece of armor was put on. They didn't compromise. Ah, oh, you know what? My boots are kind of heavy. I'm not going to wear my boots. No, you were going into battle. You put every piece on. And when we are fighting spiritual battles for our families, for our children, for our community, we need every piece of armor when we go into that battle. Number four. According to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Stand your ground, putting on a sturdy belt of truth. We have to take a stand for truth and instruct our children in it. Ah, the truth. What is the truth? Well, truth is God's word. And we have to, one translation says, gird up your loins. I don't use the word loins very much. I don't use the word gird very much. It just simply means wrap yourself where you walk in God's truth. So if I'm going to be walking into a boardroom, I wear God's truth. If I'm walking into a soccer game, coaching, I wear God's truth. If I'm walking into my family, into that situation, I live and apply God's truth. That was the belt. On that, all the other armor hung was on that belt. Very important piece to wear. Deuteronomy, Moses says to the people, he says, first of all, you have to have it in your own heart. Before you get it into your children's heart, it must first be in your heart. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Starts with us, put it in your own heart, get them inside of you, and then get them inside of your children. More is caught actually than taught. They, they need to see it lived out, they need to see it acted out, then they get it. But first it has to be ours. We have to own it first before we can export it. We have to take hold of it. Moses goes on to say, talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. So important that you take God's word and you get it in your own heart. And then as dads, I'm speaking mostly to fathers today, that we serve this to our family. By my own admission, one of the hardest things for me to do spiritually, it's a challenge, and uh, I wish I was better at this than I am. My dad was great at it. Every day, my father would do devotions. He'd read the Bible every day. Maybe it was easier because of our daily pattern on the farm was very consistent. But I find it a challenge, guys, to do devotions with my family, just being honest with you. There's uh, some days it's easier than other days, but just to take the family said, no, we're going to take 10 minutes and we're going to read the word before we go, before we leave the table. I know you got to catch the sky train. I know you got homework to do. I know you got this coming up. But no, I know we're just going to time out. I know there's something on TV or whatever it is. But right now we're going to take 10 minutes and we're going to read God's word. It's a battle to do that. It's a fight to do it. But something changes in our home when we take time to read God's word. And we put God's word first. It changes, one, our home. But when our homes change then our communities change, our schools change, and it filters out to the rest of society. But really, it starts in our homes. In Ephesians 6, verse 4, just before the armor, look what Paul says to dads. This is a word to fathers. So this would be for Father's Day, right? And now a word to you fathers. Don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction approved by the Lord. Instruction approved by the Lord. Not your golf buddies, not your buddies down at the street or at work, but instruction approved by the Lord. 
Bring them up with instruction. He's, he's talking to dads. Dads, this is your responsibility. Oh, my, my wife does that. No, he said, fathers, this is your responsibility to bring them up with instruction. Fatherhood and even marriage for guys is a big responsibility. It's a big risk in counseling guys before they get married. They go, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can take that step. I say, you know what? It's a step of faith. It, you really have to take the step of faith because they go, man, that's, that's a lot of responsibility. You're right. It is. It's a lot of responsibility. There is a risk involved. That's why we need the armor. If you watch a hockey game, guess who's wearing the armor? The players, not the fans. Because they're taking the risks. They're in the game. Who's, I, I, I like watching a sport, but I'd much rather play a sport. And we're not comparing raising family to a sport, but the analogy is this, that in the game of life, there is a spiritual battle going on, and Paul's simply saying, gear up for this, and man, he's talking to dads, give instruction. Give instruction the way the Lord has asked us to give instruction. Does our city need that kind of instruction? Do our, do our homes need that kind of instruction? I don't know if what you were doing on Wednesday night, you likely were watching the TV. If you live downtown, maybe you took a peek down Georgia Street or Robson Street, and, and we saw a lot of young men. We saw young men jumping on police cars. We saw them throwing things through windows, and, and you saw, really, a spirit of lawlessness at work in the city where people were doing things that normally they wouldn't do, but what was it? It was an unseen force. Let me give you... Uh, the spiritual perspective. The spiritual perspective is there's the powers of darkness at work. What do they want to do? Kill, steal, destroy. People were hurt that night. Stuff was destroyed that night. What was happening? It's the powers of darkness that were at work. And you saw these young men getting up and doing stuff that later on they're going to regret the rest of their life. The young man that had a, a lacrosse scholarship and so forth. Just one moment of stupid. And, oh, the shame that goes with that. Where does it start? How does that relate to Father's Day? Here's how it relates to Father's Day. God's asking the home to be an institution to bring a moral compass and value to the community. This is the church's role. The church's role is to pray. The church's role is to instruct. The police have that, that institution as a role. The government has a role. The schools have a role. But what's our role as church, as homes and families? Our role is to do what Paul said here, to bring instruction, to bring guidance to people. There was a survey that was done not too long ago, and they did a survey on fatherless children. And here's what they found, that children who grow up fatherless, they're eight times more likely to go to prison, five times more likely to commit suicide, 20 times more likely to have behavioral problems, I, I'm just guessing, but I think if we took a lot of those, then mostly were young men. If you took those young men that were there on Wednesday night and caused so much damage in the city, and if you just asked them, what was your relation like with your father? I'm guessing that most of them had a troubled relationship with their dad. I talked to one individual who works with the foster children of our province, and most of the the because there's a brokenness in their, in, their, in their home. Most of the people on the street and most of the, the challenges we have in our community, it's be, it, the high percentage, they're foster children. They didn't have the spiritual instruction that Paul is talking about right here. 
The survey went on to find that there are they're 20 times more likely to become a rapist, 32 times more likely to run away, 10 times more likely to have chemical substance abuse. Why? Because there's this lack of fatherhood instruction. And our role as dads is to rise up and say, I want to give instruction and I want to bind this truth around me and bring it to my family. We live in a world that is confused. And, I, and Paul said people are blinded. Their, their eyes, their understanding is blinded. They just can't see it. And the way you remove that blindness is through prayer. Because it says Satan has blinded the eyes that they can't see the truth. It's not like they don't want to, it's just the fact they can't see it. And our role as a church is it's this battle. It's this spiritual battle where we go into that place and say, no, you're not going to have my, my son, my nephew. It's, it's like the testimony we heard today of Stefano. He had, he had a mom and seven aunties that were just praying for a rebellious teenager. And something changed because there was a battle being fought in the spiritual realm. This is where the church has to step up and say, wait a minute. We will pray. We will intercede. We will pray for our children, for our grandchildren, for our nephews and nieces. We'll intercede for them and believe God to make a difference. Take a stand for the truth. Instruct our children in the way they should go. In my own life, I'm thankful that I had a praying parents. And uh, I, I think back to one example of my life. There's probably many, but one example. And I didn't know all the story till later on. But on one particular time, uh, we, we grew up in a home where we didn't have dancing. And uh, it wasn't... Uh, it was taboo in our, in our particular church and in our home. And I really wanted to go to the high school dance. And I had a motorbike. I don't know how old I was. I know back then at 14, you could have a motorbike license. So I must have been 14 or 15. And I was pestering my mom. I said, Mom, I want to go to this dance. And mom was like, no, no, you're not going. You know where our stand is on that. But I kept pestering her and pestering her. And finally, she said, well, go ask your dad. I don't know if you ever do that as parents. You kind of default. and You give it to the other parent to deal with. And so she said, well, go ask your dad. Dad, let him handle it. And uh, so I get on my bike, and he's about 10 or 15 miles in the other direction of the school. And I have to drive over to him, and I find my dad, and he's working with another farmer on this project. And I said, Dad, Dad, I want to go to this high school dance. He says, Son, you know what our stance is on that? And he's trying to explain it. I, I just kept pestering him. Maybe I embarrassed him in front of this other farm he was work, farmer he was working with, but he just says, Okay, son, if you have to go, then go. So, yay, I got permission from my dad, and now I get on my bike. I got about 50 miles to go to our home, and then about another 25 into town. And so I got this little, just over 100cc motorbike, and I'm lying down in the wind. got a wide open, just, just going as fast as I can for, for home. And, and just knowing that I'm, I'm barely going to make the dance on time. I'm thinking about my friends are going to be there. They're going to be shocked. Coop, you came. And so I'm just like, yes, I got to get there. And about two miles from home, maybe three, I feel my tire go flat. Oh, man, I finally got permission. I got a flat tire, so I get off, and I'm running my bike. I'm sweating. I get into the yard. I got to take the tire off, take the tube out, patch the tube, put it back together. I get on my bike, and I'm looking. Oh, the dance is over. I didn't know this till later, but I had a mom in the prayer closet, and I got a dad who were praying. It is not fair. If you're trying to rebel and you got a praying parents, just surrender now. It'll be easier for you. Okay, God, I give up. They, they were praying. 
The battle was in the spiritual realm for me. And that's where we fight. Paul is saying, put on your armor. Gear up, guys. Fight this good fight of faith that we must fight for the next generation. So the next point is let our right standing in Christ be our identity. Really important to know what our position is in Christ. What, what makes a man? What, what would you say? Now, there's a man. Ah, whew, that guy's a man. We say man up, you know. What, what, would, what would qualify manliness? Oh, he, he climbed the mountain. What a man. He, he, he did this. What a man. Or, you know, we think of things that we conquer where we're, our DNA is to conquer. Ah, oh, what a man. Yeah. But it, from Paul's perspective here and from the Lord's perspective, the greatest thing we can have is, as a man, is our identity and who we are in Christ, that we are in right standing with him. That's most important when you go into this battle. Now, stay with me, guys, just for a bit. Don't, don't, don't tune out here, because this is really important. When your little girl has nightmares and can't sleep at night, all those things you might have done that said, now there's a man, he did this, he did that, it does not help you a bit in that spiritual battle. You could have bench pressed 300 pounds. You could have run the, you know, 100-yard dash and this, or you could have done all these great feats. But when you get into that battle, all those things that might be a measurement of, yeah, you're a man, you did it, they don't count in this battle. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you're right standing with him, you will not win that battle. I've talked to dads who there's their little girls downtown on the east side putting a needle in her arm every day. And none of those things work except to know in this battle when I face this enemy, when I face satanic forces that are taking on my family, I must know that I am right with God when I face this enemy. If you're facing some dude in a bar or in a street somewhere in a, or on a subway or in a sky train and he, he wants to fight you and you think, yeah, I can do this because I've taken, you know, I, I work out or whatever, that might work there. But in this battle, in this battle, which is the most important battle, this battle, buddy, you better know that I am right with God and say you don't stand a chance because I'm right standing with the one who whipped you at the cross. Now let my kids go. And if you don't have that kind of boldness and authority, you'll just watch your kids suffer. You'll watch your nephew suffer. But you must have this. Forgive the, the, the passion here. But I just feel Paul in the text. He's, he's just, get it on. Guys, get the armor on. Fight this fight. Too many men default from this fight. Oh, let somebody else pray. Let somebody, No, God's calling man, mighty men of valor. Step up. Go to battle. Fight for them. That's what Nehemiah said when he was rebuilding the walls and he, he cried out to the men, fight for your wives, fight for your children, fight for your city. Is there a battle cry in Vancouver today? I think so. Is there a battle cry? What is the church's response? Men, what's the Christian men's response? Our response should be that we will pray for these people. We will intercede. We will pray. Early Thursday morning, 
I walked down Georgia Street and down to Robson Street and just was looking at the stores. They were just starting to board it up early in the morning. And just, it grieved my heart. I'm praying for our city. And, and I was praying for these that were caught in it. And, and God really dealt with me. Because I, I was just saying, God, there must be justice for this. And you know what text he brought me to? It might, might surprise you. He brought me to the story of the adulterous woman, the woman caught in adultery. You remember that story, woman caught in adultery? She was caught in the act. It's like somebody jumping on the police car and they're caught in the act. And they brought her before Jesus and said, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? And Jesus looked around and basically was saying, Okay, anybody here who's never done anything stupid, because we're just one decision away from stupid, if you've never done anything stupid, you get to throw a rock. And everybody looked, and it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they all began to leave until there was just Jesus and the woman. And he lifts her up, and he said to her, where are your accusers? And she said, they, they've all gone. Remember, she was caught in the act. Guilty. Guilty. Wrong. Broke the law. And she said, where are your She says, they're all gone. And she, and she says, well, who's condemning you now? She said, well, there's none left to condemn me. And you know what our Lord said? And neither do I condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Number one, you broke the law, but you're not alone. Number two, I didn't come to condemn people. I came to save people. And number three, go and sin no more. He wasn't dismissing the sin. He would take the sin. He would take the punishment. But I tell you what, I love my Lord. Must there be justice? Absolutely. Laws are broken. But what is our Lord's response? What is, what is Jesus' response to somebody who brought destruction in our city? Because I think the attitude that he has is the attitude that we should have. I'm not throwing rocks, praying for you. And I think our Lord wants to save you, restore you. He did not come to destroy, he came to save. Our enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. No matter what stupid thing we did, he came to save us. This is our Jesus. So what's our role as a church? Put on our armor, all the armor. And let's pray for our families. Let's pray for our children. Let's pray for our city. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not somebody who did something stupid. It's not the police. It's not the system. Our enemy is a spirit that's working in unseen realms. That night you saw what the Bible says, a spirit of lawlessness. People were doing things that normally said, what took over them? I'm sure some of them later the next day said, what got into that? What was at work? It's a spiritual battle. Pull back the veneer, look into the spiritual realm, and there's a battle going on. How do we fight that battle? Put on your armor. But we are equipped to be more than conquerors. Where does it start? Right in our own home, right in our own neighborhood. God's calling our church to pray for the city. The police have their role as an institution. The government has their role as an institution. The schools have their role as an institution. But as a church, our, our role as this institution is to pray for the peace of our city. Amen? And put on our armor. Don't do without your armor. Put it on your armor. Paul saying, don't go into this fight without your armor. 
Number six is prepare to share God's love with our children. For shoes, put on the presence that comes from the good news that you'll be fully prepared. Share God's love, the good news. I'm running out of time. Number seven, get our shield of faith up to stop the satanic arrows aimed at our families. And every battle, you will need faith as you shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. And he does. He shoots arrows, and we need to put up a shield of faith to stop them. It stops them. Paul's reminding us this armor works. Then number eight, guard your minds. Put on a helmet of salvation. Uh, what is salvation? We need to understand what it is. The, somebody once said Christianity is just a big put on. You're right. It is a put on. You got to put it all on, all this armor. Put on salvation. But to put that on means I understand what it is. Salvation is more than just going to heaven. Salvation is soundness of mind, deliverance, preservation. It means much more than that. We have to wrap our mind in what salvation means, and it keeps the peace. Where, does the, where is the battle really fought? Isn't it really fought between our ears? Isn't this where we really have to fight the thoughts that come out of our head? The helmet of salvation, when we think about, put our mind on what God has done for us, it protects our minds because it starts in our head. Thoughts start there. That's how he gets the inroad, and then the actions follow. So this helmet is very important to wear. Just like we saw in the motorcycle example, helmet's so important. And then lastly, number nine, there's an offensive sword, a fight that has to take place in order to win. Running out of time, so much more could be said about this. Summarizing simply this, there are spiritual battles that we'll fight for our families, for our community. And Paul said, don't go into this battle, guys, unless you gear up. Be a champion, gear up, wear the right gear. And just like that motorbike, they don't allow them on the salt flats unless they have all their gear on. And God's saying, is your gear on? Get it on, because there's times you're going to have to fight. And you're more than a conqueror when you put on this gear and fight that way. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.